with whom he is pleased. It is good to be with you this morning, glorifying the name of the Lord once again in his house. We are so glad you joined us this morning, and we are excited for this week and what it means for us and what it means for the community, and we just hope that you come and join us one of these nights, tonight through Wednesday night at 7 o'clock, and I also hope that you'll be praying that the cast stays healthy, that the Lord's will is done, that his power and his presence is here, and that people who have hardened their heart towards God, people who are lost, that they will be found, and that God, that seeds will be planted, and that harvest would happen at the sounds of Christmas 2021. And we're going to pray for that in just a moment. We're going to pray over the rest of the service. I want to remind you as you leave, you can continue to worship our God through your giving at our tithe boxes in the back, or you can continue to give online via our website or our app. Let's do our declaration this morning together. Lord, today by faith, we declare that we are walking in the manifestation season. As your faithful remnant, we will house your very presence. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, and he has delivered us from all of our troubles and fears. We are no longer victims, but we are victors in Christ. We will not be deceived by the lies of the enemy, but we will give health healing and wholeness to the hopeless and those in despair. We will live under your anointing and see the revealed purpose of Christ in each of our lives, and we declare your everlasting word on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, we thank you that we're able to gather here and glorify your name. Lord, I pray, God, for the sounds of Christmas this year, God, that our cast would remain healthy, Lord Jesus, that you'd fill them with power and anointing and strength, Lord Jesus. I pray, God, for harvest. I pray that souls come to know you because of this play this year, God. I pray that people that come in this afternoon, that they would feel the love of Jesus and the power of Jesus in this place today. I pray, God, that we continue to glorify you, Lord. I pray in this season that we set our hearts and our minds towards you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Build your kingdom here, God. Amen.
you'll just remain standing a little longer. I'm going to read pastor's text for him this morning. Two, two different texts. The first from 2 Kings 4, 1 through 7. 2 Kings 4, verses 1 through 7. Then we're going to jump over and read one verse from John 6, 44. 2 Kings 4, 1 through 7. I'm going to go ahead and read it. Now there cried a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets unto Elisha, saying, Thy servant, my husband, is dead. And thou knowest that thy servant did fear the Lord, and the creditor is come to take unto him my two sons to be bondmen. And Elisha said unto her, What shall I do for thee? Tell me, what hast thou in the house? And she said, Thine handmaid hath not anything in the house save a pot of oil. Then he said, Go borrow the vessels abroad of all thy neighbors, even the empty vessels. Borrow not a few. And when thou art come in, thou shalt shut the door upon thee, and upon thy son shalt pour into all those vessels, and thou shalt set aside that which is full. So she went from him and shut the door upon her and upon her sons who brought the vessels to her, and she poured out. And it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said unto her son, Bring me yet a vessel. And he said unto her, There is not a vessel more. And the oil stayed. Then she came and told the man of God, and he said, Go sell the oil and pay thy debt, and live thou and thy children of the rest. Jumping over to John, one verse, John 6, 44. No man can come up to me except the Father which had sent me to draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Lord, we set our attention to your word and to our pastor and that which you've placed in his heart for us today. I pray there be freedom in this house to deliver the word of the Lord. And I pray, God, that us in this house would be ready to receive that word and act upon it, Lord Jesus. We take this time and are reverent to you and what you want to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord. You may be seated this morning. There's a lot of different kinds of uh, uh, approaches that we could take to the scriptures that we have read, and I have preached several messages out of the Second Kings chapter 4, and of course we have preached all over John 6 and 44 many, many, many times. But as I was studying this week, the Lord just gave me a rhema word that I had never seen before, and I never even thought of it in the context at the end of the message of what we will be saying. Now, there's a lot of spiritual truths here. We're not going to be able to cover them, uh, cover them all because I want to just focus upon that little uh, detail that the Lord has placed within my heart. I want us to go to John chapter 6, verse 44, just for a moment. And it says, No man cometh unto me except the Father which has sent me. Draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. I want to talk to you a little bit about the Spirit of God's drawing you. Here, Jesus is making a spiritual truth known to us, and I'm afraid all too often we have taken it entirely too lightly. I believe we as the body of Christ do not understand the importance of the drawing and the wooing of the Holy Spirit. Jesus just simply states, unless the Spirit of God draws a man, he cannot come unto me, he cannot come unto my presence unless the Spirit is drawing him. Did you know that there has to be spiritual activity working on the behalf of your life in order for you to not only come into the presence of God, but for you to receive any kind of revelational truth for your life whatsoever. Man cannot just come into the presence of Christ with
without, first of all, the Holy Spirit of God drawing him. Did you know you're not here by accident here today? You didn't just decide, I'm going to get up and go to church today. That was not even of your own making. You would not even be here today if the Holy Spirit had not put it in your heart to be here. You're here because the Holy Spirit has led you here. You're here because he put it in your heart to come here. You would have never even desired or even wanted to come if you're a person of flesh without the Holy Spirit prompting, leading, speaking to you or discipled you in the truths of Jesus Christ. But the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit upon my life is a divine revelation and indication that I can have access to the very presence of Christ. Aren't you thankful that you and I have the very pre uh, access to the very presence uh, of Jesus Christ here today? Ephesians 2 and 18 says, for through him, talking about Jesus, uh, we have access by one spirit even to the Father. We see in this passage of scripture that the only way that I can really go into the Father is through Jesus Christ uh, because Jesus shed his blood upon Calvary and with that shed blood, he opened the access to the approach to the throne of God for me. If I cannot come to the Father unless I'm justified by faith through the blood of Christ. But on the flip side of the coin, I cannot even come into the presence of Christ without the Holy Spirit. It is the Spirit of God that draws me into the presence of Christ and then it is Christ who brings me into the presence of the Father. I can have access to Jesus only by the moving and the stirring and the drawing of the Holy Spirit. When there's a void of the Spirit in my life, then there's a lack of access to the throne of Jesus Christ, who is my go-between and who is my advocate. And even though it is true that Jesus Christ, he is our high priest, our redeemer, our advocate, our savior, our mediator, yet the rejection of his spirit or the quenching of his spirit or the lack of yielding to his spirit causes us to lose access to the very throne of Jesus to where we can find mercy and help in our time of need. It is vitally important here today that we understand when the spirit of God deals with us, it's vitally important to obey him because when we do not obey him, it causes us to lose access to the very throne of God. You cannot approach him in yourself. You have to approach him through the power of the Holy Spirit. And the only way that I can know Jesus Christ is to even be led by the Spirit. The Bible tells us in Romans 8 and 14, for as many are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Who is it that is the sons of God? It's those that are led by the Holy Spirit. You cannot be a child of God without the activity of the Holy Spirit being involved in your life. Spiritual truths can only be learned by spiritual enlightenment by the Spirit of God. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He's not a way. He's the, uh, not a truth. He is the truth. And the only way that I can know that truth and know, that, uh, know him in that truth is to know the Holy Spirit. It is the Spirit that guides us into all truth because he is the Spirit of truth. The Bible tells us in John chapter 16, verse 13 and 14, Howbeit when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he heareth, that shall he speak. And he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, and he will show it unto you. The Bible literally just tells me that the Spirit of God will lead me and guide me in all truth. And when he has come, what's he going to do? He is going to hear from Jesus, and whatever he hears from Jesus, he's going to show it unto me, and he's going to glorify Jesus Christ to me. Can I have an amen? The Spirit of God is the revelator of Jesus Christ. In John 5 and 6 says, This is he that come by water and blood, even Jesus Christ. Not by water only, but by 
water and blood, and it is the Spirit, listen to this, and it is the Spirit that beareth witness because the Spirit is truth. Listen to what it says in 1 John 4 and verse 2. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God, and every spirit that confesseth that Jesus is come in the flesh is of God. The Holy Spirit is the revelator of who Jesus Christ is. It is only by the Spirit that we can even know that we are in need of Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, in John chapter 16, verse 7 through 11, the Bible says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it's expedient that I go away, for if I go not away, that comforter will not come. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment of sin because they believe not upon me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more, and of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. In other words, what this scripture is telling me that I would not even know that I needed to be saved if it wasn't for the work of the Holy Spirit in my life. I would not even know that I needed to come to church. I would not even know I need to pray. I would not even know that I needed to get in the Word if it wasn't for the working and the enlightenment of the Holy Spirit. Everything that you do that is of a biblical value, it is because the Holy Spirit has led you through Jesus Christ to do it. Can I have an amen? So you ought to give the Lord an applaud here today that the Holy Spirit is actively involved in your life even as you sit on these pews. I would not even have the knowledge I needed to be saved if it wasn't for the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that draws me, convicts me, reproves me, corrects me. It takes a work of the Spirit for a man to even be born again and accept Jesus Christ. This is why that Jesus told Nicodemus in John 3, verse 5 and 6, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of the water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born is flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not what I say unto you, you got to be born again. Romans 8 and 14 again says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they're the ones that's the sons of God. He is the revelator of truth. He speaks nothing that is not of Jesus Christ. The Word may reveal Jesus Christ to us. How important is the Word? We've been putting emphasis on that. Jesus is the Word, and the Word reveals Jesus, but it takes the Spirit for the understanding the enlightenment of that Word. It takes the Spirit for the Word to come alive. How many knows that? A lot of people read the Bible and they can't understand it because a lot of times they're not trusting in the Holy Spirit or seeking the Holy Spirit for enlightenment. The, the reason that we have so many carnal churches and unsound in their doctrine is because they are void a lot of times of the Spirit. It is the Spirit that brings soundness to our doctrines. It brings life to our preaching. It brings power to our services. Listen to what John 14 and 26 says. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance of whatsoever I have said unto you. Everything Jesus has ever placed within the Scripture, we'll not understand it if there's not a work of the Holy Spirit enlightening us and illuminating us to divine truth. Did you know the greatest teacher here today is not me? The greatest teacher is the anointing that's upon me, and it's the anointing of the Holy Spirit that brings revelation to your heart. The Holy Spirit is the teacher here today. Give the Holy Spirit praise for teaching you here today. Oh, I'm about to preach here in a minute. I feel it coming on. 
Hallelujah. And then 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9 through 16. I love this passage. Eyes not seen or ear heard, nor is it entered in the heart of man the things that God's got prepared for them that love him. But listen to verse 10. But God has revealed them unto us by his spirit. For the spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God, and then he shows them unto you. How many of you have ever been in the word of God and all of a sudden, whoa, I've never seen that. Well, all of a sudden, that ain't you just getting a hold of something. I want to tell you that's divine revelation that's come by the Holy Spirit. I read for years about justification by faith, and I read by years of how that we're justified and regenerated by the work of the Holy Spirit. But it wasn't until the Holy Spirit really revealed it to me. I read the commentators, but it never I never grasp it within my spirit until the Holy Spirit illuminated it and the Holy Spirit brought it to me and then I understood it. Then he says for what uh, for what a man knoweth the things of a man set, except by the spirit of man that's in him and he said even so the things of God knoweth no man but by the spirit of God. You're not going to know anything unless the spirit of God's teaching you. Now watch this verse 12 now we have received not the spirit of the world but the spirit which is of God that we might know the things that are freely given to us by God which things also we speak not in the wisdom of not in the words of wisdom which man's teacheth but with the holy ghost teaching comparing spiritual things with spiritual but the natural man receiveth not the things of the spirit of god for they are foolish unto him neither can he know him because they're spiritually discerned but he that is spiritual judgeth all things yet he is judged of no man who hath known the mind of the lord that we may instruct him but you and i have the mind of christ i love that passage of scripture the bible just literally says that the natural man cannot receive the things that be of the Spirit of God because they're foolish to me. Don't understand them. But they're spiritually discerned. That means through the power and the illuminating and revelation of the Holy Spirit, you and I can understand spiritual concepts and precepts, and you and I can understand the supernatural. We can understand the spiritual. Can I have an amen? When you come into a Pentecostal service, if you're unlearned or unskilled in the word, it can be quite frightening. But when you get the revelation, you understand the truth and the power. Hallelujah. And there is a form of godliness out there, but they deny the power thereof. And Paul said, from such turn away from. He's saying you got to get into a spirit. How many knows it's important to be spiritual? Come on, somebody. You're Pentecostal in this place today. How many spiritual in this house? How many believe in the power of the Holy Spirit? Can I have an amen? And then 2 Peter 1 and 21 says, knowing this, first of all, that, there, that uh, no prophecy is of a private or no prophecy or scriptures of a private interpretation for the, for the prophecy came not by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved upon by the Holy Spirit. The word of God is not just another word. It's not just another book. It's an inspired book. Come on. It's been written by the Holy Spirit. The author's really the Holy Spirit. And then, you know, it takes uh, both word and spirit in order for us to have spiritual revelation and revival and renewal and, and awakenings and things. Everything that we desire, it takes both word and spirit. Do you remember in the book of Ezekiel chapter 37, the valley of dry bones, when Ezekiel came and he approached the valley and he looked out over that valley and he said, the Spirit of the Lord asked him a question. Ezekiel, can these bones live? And bones were scattered ever, white bleach bones, been there forever. And he looked around and seen all those bones. And they wasn't just bones like skeletons in one place. They'd been carried off. They were scattered. And there might be a leg bone over here and an ankle bone over there and a head bone a quarter, quarter of a mile down that valley. You know, it just, just bones everywhere. And he said, can these bones live? And and Ezekiel was smart and says, well, thou knowest whether they can or not. 
You know, in other words, God only you know that. In other words, he wasn't saying, yeah, I believe you can. But nevertheless, he kept on asking that question. And finally he says, okay, son of man, prophesy to those bones. And he got, and he said, hear ye the word of the Lord, O bones. And he started prophesying to those bones. And all of a sudden there was a shaking and a rattling going on in that valley. And them bones began to come together. And every little piece of bone that was missing, all of a sudden coming together. And they began to come. Some of them that were scattered here, they come. And all of a sudden there he lay. And he prophesied. And as he prophesied, he said, oh, sin, you and oh, flesh, come upon these bones. And all of a sudden here come tissue. Here come flesh. Here come muscle. Here come vessel. Here come veins. Here comes a body be informed as he prophesied. Hear the word of the Lord. And the bones heard the word of the Lord and they obeyed. And the flesh heard the word of the Lord and they obeyed. And the muscle and the sinew and all that heard the word of the Lord and they came together. But the problem of it was you had a body laying there but it was lifeless. It was just like when God reached down in the clay and he made Adam. And there he laid. He was a good looking guy. He was, you know, all fashioned by God and he was made and created by God. But the problem of it was it was lifeless. lifeless. There laid a corpse as you please. What good is a corpse laying there in the valley of that dry bones? And he said, now son of man, since you prophesied the word of God, prophesied to the wind. And he began to prophesy to the wind. And as he prophesied to the wind, the Holy Ghost got to moving. And when the Holy Ghost got to moving, it said that the wind came from the four corners of the earth and breathed life into there. And there rose up an exceedingly great army. I'm here to tell you you, O church of God, O palace of praise, hear the word of the Lord this morning. And I'm here to tell you, O wind come, O wind come, blow again upon the house of God. We need the Holy Spirit. We cannot understand or come to spiritual truth. We can't come alive without the Holy Spirit. It's a comfort, it's a comfort to know that Jesus promises us that we can have the Holy Spirit. Amen? How many believe if you ask, you shall receive? How many believe if you seek, you'll find? How many believe if you knock, it shall be open to you? For everyone that asketh, receiveth. He that seeketh, findeth. To him that knocketh, it shall be open unto him. How many believe that? And then Jesus asked an important question. How many of you that is a father, if his son would come to you, and he had asked you for an egg, he said, in the place of the egg, would you give him a scorpion? He said, if your son come to you and said, hey, dad, I want some bread in the place of a bread, would you give him a stone? He said, if he came to you and asked you, hey, dad, give me a fish. He said, in the place of a fish, would you give him a snake? He says, if you being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more does the heavenly father want to give the Holy Ghost to them that ask? Hallelujah. Woo! Somebody better get happy with me because my legs are getting rubbery about right now. Because God wants to give the Holy Ghost to his church. God wants to give you the Holy Ghost as much as a father wants to give good things to his children. That's how God wants to give you the Holy Spirit. Can I have an amen? And then in John 14, verse 16 and 17, Jesus said, I'm going to pray to the Father. He's going to send you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it seeth thee not, neither knoweth him. But you know him because he is with you, but he dwelleth with you, but he shall be in you. Oh, hallelujah. And we could go into the day of Pentecost when that happened. 
But he, but he is the divine comforter because he reassures us and reveals to us and establishes our, our salvation to us. Now, I want you to notice this. Where there's a lack of the Spirit, there will always be a lack of confidence. There'll be a lack of faith. There'll be a lack of assurance. Because how many knows what Jude verse 20 says? Building up your most holy faith by praying in the Holy Spirit. Yeah, it does say in Romans that uh, faith coming by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Yeah, you do get faith, but it also faith is built up by praying in the Holy Spirit. And can I tell you, where there is the fullness of the Spirit, there'll be joy, there'll be peace, there'll be confidence, there'll be assurance. It is the Spirit that brings vitality and life to us. It is the Spirit that gives us confidence and boldness. You can't be bold in yourself. You rear at a demon in yourself and you're going to find out how bold you are. Come on, somebody. It is the Spirit that encloses us. We're endued with power by the power of the Holy Spirit. Romans, five verse, Romans 8, verse 15 and 16, it says, For we have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but we received the spirit of adoption to whereby we cry, Abba, Father. For the Spirit himself, the Holy Spirit, he himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Every time the accuser comes and tries to pull me down, the Holy Spirit comes right alongside of me and inside of me rears up and says, uh, I'm a child of God. The Spirit of God bears witness of who I am. I am being confident of this very thing Then he which began a good work in me, he'll perform it into the day of Jesus Christ. I don't have to back down. I don't have to apologize. I don't have to cry. I don't have to be afraid because I've got the spirit of adoption where I cry out, Abba, Father. My Father comes to my rescue and the Spirit bears witness of who I am in Christ. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. Romans 8 and 1, there's therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus who walk not after flesh but after spirit. If I'm walking in the spirit, I don't have no condemnation. I don't have no guilt. Come on. I don't walk around with anxiety and fear and worry and beat down and, oh, poor as me, and I'm just a nobody and I'm no good and I'm a sinner saved by grace. No, 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 listen to me. If you're saved by grace, you're no longer a sinner. Hallelujah. There is therefore now, right this very no more condemnation. All things are passed away. All things are made new. People that walk around in condemnation are not walking in the Spirit. There is no condemnation to them who walk in the Spirit. Can I have an amen? Somebody getting this message today? Romans 14, 17 says, For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink. But what is it? It's righteousness. It's peace. And joy in the Holy Ghost. Oh, hallelujah. Galatians 4 and 6 says, And because we are his sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Look at 1 John 3 and 24. And he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him, and he in him. And hereby we know that he abideth in us by the spirit which he giveth us. I know he's with me. Why? His spirit's with me. His spirit's in me, bearing witness of me, blessing me, affirming me, edifying me, encouraging me, equipping me, emboldening me. Can I have an amen? First John 4 and 13 says, Hereby know we that we dwell in him and he in us because, again, of the spirit he's given to us. One of the things that is concerning me, and that is as important as we know that the spirit of God is, and yet we reject him and ignore him and just we don't pay much attention to him at times. We put him off, we quench him, we resist him, we reject him. We just kind of turn our backs on him. How many times did the Holy Spirit said, do something and you wouldn't do it? How many times did the Holy Spirit nudge you? How many times did the Holy Spirit prick you to do something and all of a sudden you just kind of, oh, well. It's like we can do with or without it, no big deal. If it's the Holy Spirit, it is a big deal whether or not to obey or not. 
Come on. And I'm here to tell you there's been times God's nudged me to do something. I've done it and saved my life. Amen. So I want you to understand that it's time that the church understand when the spirit speaks gently and even softly, hear his voice, obey it. Obey it. Jesus said the only way that you can come to me is through the Holy Spirit. Then how much more should we be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and seek him? If Holy Spirit is the agent in which brings us into contact with Christ, who's the illuminator and revelator of all truth, who's the one that reveals what Jesus has said to us, then how much of a relationship do you and I need with the Holy Spirit? How much more should we long for, seek after hunger and thirst for the Holy Spirit of God? And yet, a lot of times I don't see that. Blessed are those that hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. The early church had these kinds of testimonies. Let me just read them to you real fast. I'm going to close here in just a moment. Acts 15 and 28, they were having a problem in the early church about doctrine, about the establishment of meats, of whether or not they were a part of salvation of certain meats you could eat and certain meats you couldn't under the law. They were fighting over it. And about circumcision, they went to the council. And listen to what the council said. For it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things. What brought them to the conclusions of truth about salvation? It seemed good to the Holy Ghost. It was the Holy Spirit. They sought the Holy Spirit, and through divine enlightenment, the Holy Spirit showed them the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 2, verse 4, listen to what it says about their hunger and their zeal for seeking him. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost to begin to speak with other tongues as the Spirit of God gave them the utterance. Look at Acts 4 and 31. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they spake the word of God with boldness. Look at Acts 8 and 17 that the Samaritans then laid their hands upon them, Peter and John did, and they received the Holy Ghost. Look at Acts 10 and 44 of Cornelius' household. While Peter yet spake these things, the Holy Ghost came upon them and they spake with tongues and they prophesied. Look at Acts 15 and 8. And God, which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he gave him to us. Look at Acts 19 and 6 to those in, uh, in the upper coast of Ephesus that Paul ran into. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came upon them and they spanked with tongues and they prophesied. Can I tell you that even scripture makes a distinction between Holy Ghost filled people and non-Holy Ghost filled people. You can't even wait on tables according to the scripture unless you're filled with the Holy Spirit. Come on somebody. Matter of fact, Acts 4 and 8, it says, And Peter, being full of the Holy Ghost, said unto them, Ye rulers of the people and elders, and he preaches a message. But look what it says. And Peter, being full of the Holy Ghost, why did they bring, why did they even say that? Why was there a distinction made there? Look at Acts 7 and 55. And Stephen, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly in the heavens, saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. What was the distinction about that passage? And Stephen, being full of the Holy Ghost. Look at what it says about Barnabas in the book of Acts eleven twenty four. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith, and much people were added unto the church. Again, the distinction was made that he was a good man. If you're full of the Holy Ghost, you're going to be a good man and you'll be full of faith. But he was full of the Holy Ghost. I like what Acts 13 and 9 says. Then Saul, who is also called Paul, filled, was filled with the Holy Ghost, and he set his eyes upon the people. 
Acts 13 and 52. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Ghost. Luke 1 and 5 talking about John the Baptist. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He shall be filled with the Holy Ghost even in his mother's womb. Look at Luke 4 and 1 talking about Jesus. And Jesus being full of the Holy Ghost returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Look what it says again about Jesus in Luke 4 and 18. And the Spirit of God, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, and he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captive, the recovery of the side of the blind, and to preach the liberty to them that are bruised, and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. What it says about Jesus in Acts 10 and 38, how that God anointed Jesus with the Holy Ghost and with power. I want to tell you there's a distinction made between Holy Ghost-filled people and non-Holy Ghost-filled people. You can say whatever you want. The Holy Spirit makes a difference. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's like when Jesus on that great day of the feast, he stood up and he looked at his disciples and said, he breathed upon them and said, receive ye the Holy Ghost. This is why he told them to go tarry into Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father and say, you stay there until you be endued with power from on high. And can I tell you, we need the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5 and 18 says, Be not drunk with wine where is in excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Ephesians 4 and 30 says, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you're sealed unto the day of redemption. 1 Thessalonians 5 and 19 says, Quench not the Spirit. But all too often, the people of God reject disobey, resist. They want to ignore that the Holy Spirit is even involved. And when the Holy Spirit prods them to do something that goes against their grain or challenges, they want to clam up. They want to resist. They want to be stiff-necked. And look at the results of this. Isaiah 63 and 10. Israel tried that. But they rebelled and vexed his Holy Spirit. Rebellion is vexing the Holy Spirit. It's rejecting him. He's saying no to him. And this is what it says. Therefore, he, talking about God, was turned to be their enemy, and he fought against them. Listen to what Genesis 6 and 3 says. And the Lord said, My spirit will not always strive with man, for they are also flesh. Look what it says in Hebrews when he talked about the fathers. He said, They were a stiff-necked people. And he said, uh, and you, and, and he said, because of your hard hardness through unbelief, you resisted the Holy Spirit, uh, and your carcasses fell within the wilderness. He said you died in the wilderness. You didn't receive the promise. You didn't go into Canaan because you resisted the Holy Spirit in unbelief. Oh God, help us! Look at First Samuel sixteen fourteen. But the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. The spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, the anointed king. Because he was rebellious. Look at the book of Judges. And Samson went out as before and shook himself, not knowing that the Spirit of God had departed. Look at what it says about David. David says in Psalms 51 and 11, Cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. I want to tell you something, folks. It's a serious thing to resist and be stubborn and stiff-necked and only want to grow so far in your maturity and you resist this thing called the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit here. How many believe that? Well, I believe some of you. How many believe we need the Holy Spirit? Amen. There's a big sermon I like to preach about the Holy Spirit. When he says go, go. When he says stop, stop. We say squat, squat. When he says jump, jump. When he says be quiet, be quiet. When he says say hallelujah, say hallelujah. When he tells you to shout, shout. When he tells you to dance, dance. Come on, somebody. 
It's important that we obey the presence of the Lord. If you didn't obey the presence of the Lord in the march around Jericho, they would have never brought Jericho down. The Bible says that every single one of them had to shout when God told them to shout. Everybody says, oh, you're trying to get all emotional. I'm trying to get spiritual. I'm trying to be in obedience. You know what would happen if the camp here at the palace of praise would be in unison in the spirit of God and when the spirit of God would move upon people to do something, it would be communicable in the whole congregation. You know what we could get done in such unity like that? Did you know they were in the New Testament? They were in unity, one accord with one another, and the Spirit of God done marvelous things. We got to get into this thing called the unity of the Spirit together. Can I have a, if we're wanting great and mighty things done, God, it's not going to be done by personality. It's not going to be done by our giftedness. It's not going to be done by our talent. It's going to be done by the Spirit of the living God. As we obey, can I have an amen? Oh, God, uh, on Ninth and Cedar, we had some strange services, but they were spiritual services. Come on, somebody. I remember a sermon that God had me to preach, and he told me exactly what to do, and I was doing this illustration, and it was about wading out into the water, and, you know, the prophet got ankle deep, and then shin deep, and then knee deep, and then hip deep, and then he got into waters that was over his head that he had to swim in, and God wanted him to get out away from his shoreline experiences and get into the deep. And, and the water was so mighty that he could have drowned it in them because there was no end to them. It was just a continual flow of God's presence. And he got a revelation of that. But I can remember I got into ankle-deep water, and then I got a five-gallon bucket, and I put my feet in it, and the water went up to about my knees. And then I had an old swimming pool laid out there, and I laid down in it. And Could you imagine this old fat preacher laying down in a little kiddie swimming pool? Well, I'd done that. But then at the end of it, the Lord told me to do something. I'd already had it filled up and everything. I jumped up and I took off running and I dove into the baptistry. Kawoom! And when I did, water went everywhere. How many, how many remember that service? And the Holy Spirit just took charge just over an illustration. God told me to obey. I obeyed. And we had a Holy Ghost explosion that Sunday morning. And I want to tell you, when God says get anointing oil and anoint someone, it's just nothing more. There's no power in the oil. There's no power in you. The power is in obedience to the Spirit. And when we're obedient to the Spirit and the Spirit kicks up with what we're doing, it's no longer us doing it. It's the Spirit doing it. And the Spirit brings life. Man, 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 I'm trying to get off my notes right here, and that's dangerous. I remember our pastor one time went to a camp meeting, and there was an old preacher, and he was very rough. You go through the prayer lines, he prayed with you. You know who was praying with you when he was praying with you. Anybody been through prayer lines like that? You can have your eyes closed. Ooh, there he is. That's who it is right there. And when you got on the other end of the line, you felt like you was beat up half the time. And uh, he was a state overseer. And uh, Brother White had a horrible hurting in his shoulder for weeks and weeks. And he was at camp meeting and the Holy Spirit spoke to him and said, you go up into the front of the line and have Brother Barker specifically pray for you. He said, did you say Brother Barker? And God said, matter of fact, Wilkie, when you go up there, have him smite you on your right shoulder. Now, if I tell Brother Barker to smite me, he's going to smite me. Wilkie, obey me. Brother White went up there and he said, Brother Barker, what's your need, Wilkie? Holy Spirit told me to tell you to smite me on my shoulder. Hallelujah, when? 
And he said, I really don't know what happened because about 15, 20 minutes later, I woke up from off the floor. But I was healed by the power of God. Does it always have to be strange like that? No, the, the Holy Spirit's are perfect. But you got to be willing to be foolish in order to have the end result of what the Holy Spirit's wanting. I'm here to tell you that I'm, I'm ready for some mystery to take place in the palace of praise. I'm ready for the Holy Ghost to come in and visit us again and us be obedient to the Holy Ghost. How many is ready for that? Look in our text. We see a strange thing happening. I'm going to close here real fast. And this is the revelation that God gave me. And I preached many, 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 many sermons on this text. But if you look at verse 1, we see a little woman, a, a little widow woman, and she's in despair. The Bible says she cried to the prophet Elisha and said that the creditors come to take unto him, unto him my two sons to be bondmen because of a debt that I cannot pay. Her debt cannot be paid because her husband had died. And back in those days, if you had a debt, you couldn't pay it. Then the creditors would come and take those children away from you and they would go work as slaves at these people's homes until that debt was taken care of and then they could return. And she's crying to the prophet Elisha. And we see by the description of her text that this woman was no ordinary woman. She was a special woman. I want you to notice this. We see by the description of her text that she was, her husband served with the great prophet Elisha. Her family was closely knit to the prophetic. They were prophetic people. They operated in the prophetic. How do we know that? Because verse 1 says, Thy servant, my husband, is dead. Thou knowest that thy servant did fear the Lord. In other words, my husband was a godly man. He was your servant, and he feared the Lord. And we see that she called her husband a servant of Elisha, and he was therefore a student of the seminary, he was a student to Elisha's school of prophets because Elisha was over a, a, a school to train prophets. So he worked with Elisha. He was in seminary with him. And outside of that, he was working to make a living for the family. And she's saying, man, he was a godly man. He was a man that feared the Lord. He was, he was working with you and he's dead. Now I'm in this dilemma. You see, did you know it's possible to be right smack dab in the will of God, be in ministry, serving right where you're supposed to be, serving right where the presence of God is at, and still find yourself in a dilemma? That's strange, isn't it? It's possible to be serving in ministry where things are happening, things are shaking, things are just blowing up all around you, and yet you still find yourself in a crisis. Amen? But listen to the prophet Elisha's. I wish I could preach more because I got a different sermon on that, and I wanted to bring those thoughts in, but I don't have time. But listen to what Elisha's answer and response to this woman was in verse 2. And Elisha said unto her, What shall I do for thee? Tell me, what hast thou in thy house? And she said, Thy handmaiden has not anything in the house but a pot of oil. First of all, this woman said that she had nothing in the house. The only thing I got left in my house is a pot of oil. Don't sound like much. She's pretty poor. Oil in the scripture, how many knows, is symbolic of what? The Holy Spirit. And no doubt this woman had sold everything that she had. She had cleaned out and cleared out everything that there was so that she could pay it for the debt. She went and got the color television. She disconnected cable. Come on now. She went and sold the bedroom suit. She went and sold the car. And she went and sold the mule, the oxen back in those days. She sold everything of value trying to somehow pay this debt. She sold everything in the house, but the only thing she had left was a pot of oil. Now, before I 
come to this revelation, I always preach this, and I still believe it today. I believe it's a point that's valid. That before the anointing and revival comes to any house, it has to be cleaned out. It has to be sold out of its own possessions. There has to be an emptying if we're going to have an infilling. Can I have an amen? There has to be a brokenness, a spirit of humility. God blesses the broken and the contrite spirit. If the church is going to have revival, then we're going to have to have some house cleaning take place. Because we can't have revival with clutter and cobwebs and dirt and grime within the house. I could preach there a long time. That was one of my message, part of my points in the old message. And we need to be able to say when asked, what do you got in your house? Oh, nothing but a pot of oil. That's what we need to be saying. But on the flip side of the coin, I want to look at what she done as a negative instead of a positive. In other words, I want you to know that she trusted in everything else to pay her debt, but she put more value on everything else in the house than she did that oil because she never looked at that oil as valuable. She didn't think about selling the pot of oil because she didn't look at it as a great resource. Are you with me? The very thing that she put the least value on was the very thing that would bring her provision. And can I tell you, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, that's what's wrong with my house today. Is everybody's putting value on everything in the house, but they're not putting the value upon the pot of oil. We put value on our worship ministries and our music ministries and our music ability and our, our teaching and our preaching and our ministries and our programs and our plays and our, you go right down the line. Not cutting them down, that structure that the Holy Spirit moves in. But why is it that she didn't go out and sell the oil first and she might have been able to keep some of the other luxuries in the house? How many knows that God don't want you to be stripped of all your luxuries? He wants you to be able to live and live happily. Joy is of the Lord. Can I have an amen? Like the old saying used to say, oh, you keep, you keep, the, you keep, him, uh, uh, hum, you keep the preacher humble and we'll keep him broke. Well, I want to tell you something. God don't want you to be broke. God wants you to have luxuries. God wants you to prosper and be in good health even as your soul prosper. God wants to bless his people. God's a good God. He's not an evil God. And I want to tell you, it's time that the church understand that we got to start putting emphasis upon that pot of oil. We got to say, that is our resource. That's what's going to sustain us. That's what we have need of. That's what we got to have our confidence in. It's not by power. It's not by my. It's not by human ingenuity. It's not by words of wisdom of men. It's by the anointing and the power of the Holy Spirit that the church exists. You know what we need here today? There's a big reservoir of oil in this building right now. I said there's a reservoir of oil in this place right here. There's a pot of oil. Woo! We just need some vessels to come up and say, fill me. Fill this vessel. Okay, you, amen. He's under the anointing. Come on, buddy, give me a, wow, there we go. I'm here to tell you today that what God's looking for is a, you remember what she was commanded to do? Go out and borrow all the vessels you can borrow. The more vessels you got in, the more he would feel, and the more that you feel, the greater the house would become. Now, that's an evangelism type message I preached as well. 
But what God is saying to us, if the palace of praise is going to continually exist and be a remnant church and be a church where the, this last day outpouring is going to happen, where there's going to be that great awakening and there's going to be movement and shaking and mysteries and healings and miracles, it's going to be a people that come in and their vessels are full of oil. Would you stand with me this morning? We got to put our emphasis upon the oil. Are you with me? Now, I know we've got a matinee here in a few moments, and I'm not trying to hold up time. So we're going to have to move quickly, and we're going to have to move wisely. But I'm here to ask you today to get in the spirit with me, and let's ask God. Start seeking the Lord. and Make this a regular, consistent thing that you do. Fill my vessel with oil. It's possible to run out of wine, which is a symbol of the Holy Spirit as well, the joy of the Lord. At the marriage of Canaan and Galilee, they ran out of wine. And what did Jesus have to do? He filled the water barrels with water, which is the word of God, Ephesians 5, 26, that he might sanctify it by the washing of the water of the word. Sanctified the barrel, filled it with the word. And then when the word got there, then the spirit was able to make wine out of it, bring it to life. You and I here today, we need the Holy Spirit. Huh. I don't know how many of you are desiring to become Pentecostal like me. I don't care what they say about me. I'm past that. Man, down there at that church, they scream, y'all, that preacher spits two, two uh, pews past the pulpit. Well, if you give me a chance, I'll spit five pews next week. I don't care. We're living in a decade where we got to lose all of our concern about what we look like and what we sound like and all that nonsense. Oh, come, Holy Spirit, any way that you want to, any way that you desire. Don't care what it looks like. Don't care what it sounds like. Oh, Holy Spirit, just feel us.